Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's August 3rd, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. We're going to do something a little bit different since this is Jobs Day. We're joined by Ben White from Politico, the author of Morning Money, to talk about uh, what the hell is going on with the economy. Hey, thanks for joining me, Ben. I appreciate it. Pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, before we start, you you actually get uh, kind of get jo- uh, jazzed on Jobs Day, don't you? I notice this is kind of like a big day for you. Is it sort of like a a, a, a an economic nerd holiday? Uh, it, basically, yeah. Once a month, this uh, econ nerds get to get real excited about uh, the data, and and frankly, it hasn't really changed in ten years. But we get excited about it anyway. Well, let's talk about this. Uh, today was a miss, uh, did not hit expectations, uh, but but your overall take, uh, good jobs report, bad jobs report, meh. Yeah, meh is probably about right. It's a fine jobs report. I mean, it is a little bit below expectations at 157,000. Expectations were closer to 200,000, but it's still in the range of close to 200,000 a month that we've really seen since the end of the Great Recession. Uh, So this one's a little soft, but the previous two months got revised higher. So that was good news. Uh, Unemployment rate ticked down a tenth to 3.9. That's a really, really good number. Uh, Wages, 2.7% increase uh, year over year, which is fine. Not great, not terrible. Uh, So overall, meh would be a good description of this one. Um, It's not a blockbuster, but it's also not uh, horrific. Okay, so where are we at now in in terms of, stepping back a little bit, in, in terms of the economy? Because, uh, you know, obviously we're starting to hear from businesses that they're having a hard time finding workers. Is, is there a point at which um, the, the job market is, is overheating to the point or where there's just not a lot of uh, elasticity for, for growth? Uh, I mean, at what point do we start seeing uh, wages rising, inflation rising? Give me your sense. Yeah, well, that's the big question is, you know, why aren't wages rising more quickly given that we are at pretty close to full employment and employers are reporting that it's getting harder and harder to find qualified workers for the jobs they want to fill, particularly small and uh, mid-sized businesses. So you'd think they would start paying a bunch more uh, to attract workers, but that's not really happening uh, at this point. And, you know, one assumes that it will relatively soon. And one reason we could be at 157 versus, you know, over 200,000 is that you just, uh, you know, have employers who can't find the people that they want. There's record numbers of job openings. So at some point, there's going to be more significant wage pressure, but it's not really showing up uh, right now. So that means inflation isn't rising particularly fast. And, you know, from a market nerd or an investor perspective, it's kind of a good thing because it means the Federal Reserve doesn't have to raise interest rates real quick. They could continue these really slow uh, pace of rate hikes. So it's kind of what they call in my world, the Goldilocks report, pretty good, but not overheating, uh, which means a bunch of inflation. Uh, so at some point, wages have got to have to rise a little bit faster than they are now. But uh, I guess we just haven't reached that moment yet. What about the, the there are two headlines this morning, obviously, these these jobs numbers, but also uh, China saying, uh, yes, we are definitely going to be retaliating if, in fact, uh, the administration goes ahead and increases uh, tariffs from 10 percent to 25 percent. I, I, uh, they're talking about uh, what a 60, you know, a, mm-hmm. a tariffs on 60 billion dollars worth of goods. So in terms of the market, it's always interesting what the market reacts to and what the market ignores. What What, what is the market going to be looking at today? Well, my sense is from how it's reacted so far that it might not react much to what Mm -hmm. China is saying. Um, Not particularly surprising that they would 
respond to you know another threat from Trump with their own threat of uh, of more tariffs on our exports. So far, Wall Street seems to assume, and it could be right, that um, we'll get some rhetoric back and forth on this, uh, continue for a while, and then. The Chinese will ultimately say, uh, you know, we don't want to deal with all of these tariffs. Of course, they export more to us than we send to them. So from that perspective, they might have a little bit more to lose. And then we'll do a couple of things to, you know, make Trump feel better and allow him to declare victory uh, in his trade war with China. And we won't get, you know, the absolute no-holds-barred trade war uh, that uh, some people are worried about. I, I don't know that that assumption is right. I don't think anybody knows uh, whether it's right or wrong, but it is what Wall Street believes. And, and you can see that in the lack of market reaction to most of these kind of tit for tat back and forth that maybe there's an initial little, you know, wiggle in the markets and they sell off a tiny little bit, but then they turn around and mm-hmm. come back and everybody pays attention to the fact that Apple's worth a trillion dollars now and our economy is good. So I, I don't anticipate that this one in particular will have that big of a um, an impact. Yeah. You, uh, you you mentioned that you got an email from uh, Moody's uh, Mark Zandi who says uh, the escalating trade war poses the most serious immediate threat to the strong job market. If the tariff increases are limited to those already imposed, there will be little impact on the job market. However, if the president follows through on his threat to raise tariffs 25%, blah, 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 this will cost the U.S. economy a couple hundred thousand jobs. So this is the... We have an economy that that appears to be just continuing to roll along. Um, this is the only conceivable major bump right now. It's the biggest one, yeah. The threat of a really kind of say control. only, yeah. Yeah, it's it's certainly the biggest one. Uh, the threat of a big trade war with China, because you know if you get into the you know five hundred billion in total tariffs or even more than that, I mean you're talking about all of the stuff that we imported from China last year. I think we imported close to 500 billion worth of stuff. Uh, And if we're putting tariffs on all of that, that's higher prices for consumers. It's uh, manufacturers who are paying more for materials uh, that go into the products that they make. Uh, And that means, you know, they're probably hiring fewer people. People have less money to spend. You know, there's knock-on effects from tariffs that kind of filter out through the rest of the economy. And so theoretically, yeah, it could cause a bit of a slowdown. I mean, it it's not enough at this point to totally knock off an $18 trillion U.S. economy. But uh, in a er- uh, time when everything else looks pretty good, job growth is good, GDP growth is good, uh, this is the one thing that could be a drag. I don't think it is a drag yet, but you know, businesses are worried about it. You see it showing up in all the anecdotal data that maybe people will not you know, build that new plant or hire that new set of workers because they're worried about a big trade war happening. So you know, all things being equal, mm-hmm. it would be good if, uh, you know, we could figure out a way to, to not do that. Well, I, it, it's, it's not often that I have an economist uh, on on the podcast, so I have, I'm going to take advantage of this to ask the, the, the number one economic question that I have in my mind. How does anyone spend $15,000 on an ostrich jacket, and, and where do you get them, and why? <laughs> this is a question that is uh, left best for the fashion police, <laughs> not the economists or those who play them on TV like I do. I'm a, a journalist more than an economist, but um, I don't know. I was just looking at the jacket. I hadn't really seen it, but I knew you were going to ask me about it, so I was reading Ron yeah. Gavon's thing in the Washington Post about it. And it's just its a horrendously ugly-looking thing, the ostrich yeah. jacket. And then it's not just the ostrich jacket. It's also the python jacket, which, like, I don't know why you want to put a python like that, you know, on your body in the form of a jacket, but 
this is, you know, Paul Manafort who developed this insatiable desire to have uh, these incredibly high-priced goods just because he could and then, I guess, got some sort of addiction to high-end clothing. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's a little bit weird that they're fixating on this in, in the trial other than, I guess, to say he got all these allegedly ill-gotten gains and then look at this gross stuff that he spent it on. But it, it's kind of a distraction from the main points of the trial. But you are oh, talking about Oscar's jackets now. Well, that it, it is it is a distraction, and, and I'm obsessed about it because I, I I've, I've had this sort of nagging theory in the back of my mind that that at a certain point when you become really really wealthy, you run out of things to spend money on. Right. Yeah. You know, no, I, that, that it, it's like it's like okay, I have a watch. Um, I'm wearing a watch right now that probably cost a hundred bucks, um, <laughs> but if I'm rich, I can have a watch that that costs what uh, ten thousand dollars that will tell me it's the exact same time as my hundred dollar watch. I I'm wearing a pair of shoes. But if I'm rich, I can spend. I don't know. It's just the. It's the. I. I, I can do this. So therefore, what is the most obscene f u yeah. thing I can spend money on? Right. And I would think an ostrich jacket would be. I mean, when you're sitting around, you're thinking like, I need a sports coat, right? I go to Men's Warehouse. Where Where do you go? I mean, I just. I, you know. Uh, you know, the highest end I'll go is Brooks Brothers. You know, okay. That's yeah. Much right. Where I top out. At, that's uh, splurging. Okay. For me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. But if you're sitting around going, okay, I got like $10 million and I have to spend this on something, an ostrich jacket that makes me look like a, what, some cross between a used car salesman and a pimp. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Right. But I think about you know Warren Buffett at times like this. And the, the guy has got billions of dollars, obviously more money than anybody could ever spend. And eventually he's going to give a bunch of it away. And you don't find him walking around in ostrich jackets. I mean, I spent some time with him and he's got... What looks like men's warehouse suits, all rumpled and weird looking, and you know he's drinking his cherry coke. And like, there's plenty of super rich people who don't do any of this kind of stuff. You know, don't buy ostrich jackets and python jackets. I mean, Manafort was in that category of rich where he really felt the need to display to people that, yeah, I've got this money. Never mind where I might have gotten it, um, but I'm going to do wire transfers to get my ostrich jacket. I mean, yeah. it's grotesque <laughs> in in uh, every any way you think about it or look about it. Uh, think about it i mean he looks grotesque everything about it is grotesque andy uh, only has one more question here where do you wear something like that i don't I know mean, I what, wait, which rich hunt <laughs> I, I don't know or like you're going out uh to you know uh, gather pythons or I don't, I don't know where you wear it i honestly don't like yeah i could never think of the occasion where oh man this is the night for the ostrich goat i'm breaking it out yeah, exactly. And 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 who would you hang out with who would be impressed with that? Hey, you know what this is? This is ostrich. That is so cool, Paul. Yeah. Okay, Michael, um, sp- Michael Cohen, maybe. Okay, speaking of Michael Cohen, what an outstanding segue. You've done this before. Um, I, I do host you, a show called Politico Money. It's shameless plug. <laughs> this story in the Wall Street Journal that that Michael Cohen was offered ten million dollars by a major donor. Uh, to uh, if, if he successfully helped get funding for a nuclear power project, including a $5 billion loan from the U.S. government. I mean, you know, we, we talk about uh, how swampy Washington is, but I mean, this is like swamps on whatever. I just, yeah. I mean, this is swamp. Yeah, this is like the, the ostrich jacket of swampiness in the, uh, you know, peddling influence department. And there, there are a bunch of these, obviously, we've read about that Michael Cohen was setting up this business to try to peddle his influence uh, with the president in return for vast gobs of money. This just happens to be one of the biggest and most eye-popping ones. Um, so it just shows you that, you know, there were people in Trump's orbit, and there were a ton of them right after the uh, election who were desperate to turn their access to the president 
into money as fast as they could. Um, and, and Cohen was obviously at the vanguard of that. And, uh, and this is a big sum to, uh, you know, try, try to turn around a nuke deal with the president. I don't think it worked out, but, uh, but he was doing it. He was trying to grab whatever wasn't nailed down as fast as he possibly could. Well, and he's probably not alone. I mean, this is one of those remi- reminders of, of of what access to power actually translates into and, and right. the temptations of it and, and the way it actually works. This is not necessarily new. And if people were throwing around this kind of money to Michael Cohen, yeah. you wonder, and of course we know this because he's gotten himself involved in this investigation. So I read that story and thought, well, what are we not yeah. seeing here? Yeah, uh, I think there's probably a lot that we're not seeing. I think there were... A bunch of people in Trump world who were, you know, frankly, pretty shocked that their guy won, as a lot of people were, uh, and then all of a sudden realized that they had a golden ticket here, you know, that they had the ear of the person who'd just been elected president of the United States. And, um, you know, didn't necessarily come out of the sort of, you know, good government school of folks who've been involved in this process for a long time. <laughs> it was a new group of people, um, you know, who, who rocketed into this level of political stardom and access. And um, I, I don't think they really thought there were many rules of the road that uh, applied to them. So they were going to try to ring the cash register a bit. Uh, yeah, a little bit. While, of course, giving speeches about draining the swamp and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unseating the establishment and the elite, etc. You made reference to the other big uh, business story of the day a little earlier. Um, Apple uh, breaks $1 trillion, the first U.S. company to surpass a trillion dollars in market value. I saw somebody go on Twitter uh, speculating that a third of that was uh, was selling replacement charging cords, which <laughs> I actually believe somebody was constantly misplacing them. Yeah. Um, so just put that in context. What does yeah. it mean that that Apple is worth a trillion dollars? Right. Well, you know, at one level, it doesn't mean anything. They were worth you know nine hundred ninety nine uh, billion the day before, and then they crossed that threshold of a trillion. Uh, but you know, it, it does. Uh, have some significance and that's the first U.S. company ever to do it. I think it you got to put it in the context of all of these giant tech companies that are really driving the U.S. economy and driving the stock market. And I'm thinking of, you know, Google and Facebook and Apple. Um, that the reason uh, markets are doing well for the most part, particularly the NASDAQ, is because of these companies. And these companies are hiring a lot of people and they're making a lot I shouldn't say a lot of people. They're making a relatively small number of people incredibly wealthy. Um, And I love Apple products. I'm talking to you on an iPhone. I've got an iWatch. I've bought 8 billion charging cords and everything else you can imagine. So I I dig Apple. I'm a huge fan. But, you know, you can make the case that it's not the greatest economy we have right now if, you know, there's so much wealth uh, concentrated in the tech elite and tech billionaires and then people who have enough money to invest in those companies and uh, not as much in, you know, the real economy and manufacturing. And this is how we got Trump. We go to a whole long discussion about all of this and Trump's solutions to this, I don't think are really the right ones. But Apple at a trillion dollars is an opportunity to stop and look at type of economy the U.S. has now, who's benefiting from it, who's not benefiting from it, and whether there's anything we can kind of do about it. Yeah, well, along these lines, it it seems like a million years ago now, but uh, looking back on the incredible um, collapse of Facebook uh, share prices last week, I mean, that... just sort of give me your sense of uh, of what that meant for Facebook and and, and why it didn't seem to tank the larger market. I mean, yeah. some, some of us remember when AO, you know, back when we had the right. tech bubble burst yeah. and it was like, oh, is, it, or is this going to happen again? And, and at least at least not so far. 
Right. Well, nothing can tank this market at this point. Um, part of it is, I don't think it's a rational exuberance, but you know, we're just in a period of time where you know stocks want to go up, uh, and for a lot of good reasons. I mean, there is uh, a good economy and strong growth and jobs and everything. Um, and on Facebook, uh, it obviously took a big hit. It's took a big hit over the costs of um, you know fixing all of its data problems and privacy problems and fake news problems. It's going to cost it a lot of money, uh, and that's going to make it a little bit less profitable. Uh, over the long term, and investors are trying to figure out exactly what that means and how they would adjust the the share price. But you know, this is still an absolute behemoth of a company with massive global reach and uh, you know an ad business that just prints enormous amounts of money. So you know, Facebook I think is going to be fine, and its share price will probably find a new level and then start rising again. And then you look at the rest of the you know the so-called Fang stocks: uh, Facebook, Amazon. Uh, Google, uh, Apple, the rest of them um, all have you know really good outlooks for profits. Although I think about Apple, and I'm, I'm not a complete genius in um, you know covering Apple, but you know they've reached a point where you know what's next for them? Like they're trying to go to mm-hmm. services now and sell their streaming and everything else and content, but. You know, at some point, you sold uh, iPhone Xs to everybody, and there'll be a point where you know it's not obvious what the next big thing from Apple is. But you know, at the moment, they're kings of the universe. Um, yeah, and uh, I'll continue losing the the charging cord. So yeah, as that, will I, and they count that, on that. Uh, well, apparently they do. Uh, I, could, I could tell you a long story, but it would be incredibly boring. I, <laughs> so I, I'm sure you, you you've addressed this 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 question many many times, but but not here. Um, it, given the strength of the economy, which is we've, we've been going over, you would think that it would be translating into an incredible surge for uh, the party in power right now. Right. You would think that the president of the United States would be in the 60, in mid-60s, that Republicans would be on every single occasion just touting their tax cuts and the stimulation of the economy and the low jobless rate and everything. And yet... We're going into a midterm in which uh, the president is underwater and Republicans are, uh, are, uh, are, are are treading water. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember when it was the economy stupid. So your thoughts, because this is what you do, this intersection yeah. of politics and economics, you know, h- how this incredibly red hot economy is not translating into political success, at least at the moment. Yeah, well, obviously for President Trump, there are, you know, he's got his own issues separate from the economy, obviously a very motivated base that supports him and the Republican Party that mostly supports him, but very polarizing for a lot of the rest of the country. And, um, you know, his popularity ratings have never been that great overall, uh, no matter what the economy is doing. Um, and I think, I mean, there's, it's a complicated puzzle. Why is sure. that translating? Part of it is that, you know, these midterm Elections are often not really referendums on the economy. They're just referendums on how people feel about the party in power and how they're doing. And it's always tough for the incumbent party in the first midterm of a, a president's term. You know, it's the case for Obama in 2010, despite, you know, we're bouncing back from the Great Recession at that point. I, I think also some of it is just hangover from the Great Recession and the depths that we went to. And, you know, we're obviously recovering from that and we've been recovering from it for, you know, close to a decade now. And these macro numbers are good. But, you know, the overall wage picture is not that good. Even if you have a job, uh, you're not necessarily seeing your wages outpace inflation at all. So you don't feel any richer. Um, And, uh, you know, that eventually one assumes will come, uh, but it's not there 
yet. So people are not feeling super exuberant about their circumstances. And this gets back to the whole thing where, you know, Apple and Google, and if you work for Facebook or one of these others and you're making tons of money, you feel good. But if you're, you know, working in manufacturing or you're in a retail job, uh, you're still not super excited about it. So it, it doesn't necessarily, just because we have 4.1% growth and 3.9% unemployment, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that in a midterm election, all these people are going to be super psyched on the yeah, economy. And the tax cut was really aimed at corporations, not people. So pe- the tax cut numbers and popularity are pretty bad. Yeah, and that and that has not, that has not turned around at at all. Uh, the one thing that we haven't talked about in terms of the economy and going ahead, because nobody's talking about it anymore, uh, is the is the national debt and uh, and 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 the deficit. Uh, I think we found out that the number of actual fiscal conservatives was uh, <laughs> was 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 pretty darn small. I, yeah. I think you know you could you could put them in a phone booth at the uh, Coke Network meeting in Colorado. Yeah, um, exactly. But are economists all concerned about the trillion dollar deficit? Deficits, uh, as far yeah, as the eye can yeah. see, yeah, they are. I mean, not really in the near term so much, um, just because you know uh, the U.S. is still. We've got the global reserve currency. People are always going to want to buy dollar-denominated assets, and that means buying U.S. Treasuries. There's still a huge uh, liquid market for those. So it's not like we're Greece or we're you know any of these countries that have had debt crises, uh, and we can sustain this level of debt uh, right now now for a while uh, without it starting to, you know, hit growth by, you know, forcing interest rates higher. But um, it's the longer term picture that people are rightly worried about in that if you are doing trillion dollar annual deficits and they're rising and the overall debt is rising as a share of the economy over the longer term, that usually means investors start to worry about your credit worthiness, which means you pay higher interest rates. It's like anybody who has a low credit score, you're going to pay a higher interest rate on your mortgage or your car loan, uh, and that cuts into everything else you can do. So right now, we don't have a debt crisis. We don't have a, I mean, Mm -hmm. we have a rising deficit. Uh, We have a cloudy long-term picture, but over you know, 5, 10, 20 years, if you are continuing to run these kind of deficits and debt and it's growing as a share of your total economy, then your interest rates start to rise uh, and then your economy slows down. So at some point, uh, there's got to be some significant structural changes that make the uh, deficit and debt picture more sustainable. Um, but you know, we're not about to be greased next week. Yeah, my, my my main concern is 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 also that we used to have a political party that at least gave lip service yes. to deficit reduction and being concerned about the debt. So if you have two political parties, neither right. of whom cares about this, that's a bad omen. And yep. of course, I think some folks in the Democratic Party have decided to take that signal as well. Then you know, if we're if we're okay with running up uh, deficits, yeah. then why not go with Medicare for all? You know, yep. and if it's thirty-two trillion dollars, hey, we can we can find that money, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I worry about that a lot. It's totally unfashionable now to be a, a deficit hog yep. or a deficit scold. Um, certainly, on the left and now on the right, which is, you know, more surprising that uh, that Trump has sort of totally swamped that uh, historic, uh, fiscally responsible wing of the party. Um, And and it is unfortunate because somebody's got to be concerned about it and talking about it, not getting browbeaten and made fun of for caring about it. Because while the argument is correct that we're not currently in a deficit crisis, we still have really low interest rates and people will snap up treasuries whenever they're sold. Um, it, it is that longer term picture. And if nobody cares about it, then you've got uh, you know a crisis down the road and you've got Social Security you can't pay for and Medicare you can't pay for. And then you've got a really broken fiscal picture. So it's a bummer that 
nobody at this point seems to care about it at all. And if you do care about it and talk about it, you get like mocked and made fun of. Yeah, so that that seems like a good good bummer note to uh, to end the week <laughs> on. Uh, ben White, I uh, appreciate uh, you joining me. Uh, I appreciate it very much. And of course, you can uh, read Ben's uh, Morning Money. What, you must have to get up at like uh, freak o'clock. Uh, money that, never but. sleeps, man. I'm 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 up all the time. Uh, I'm up late at night. I'm up early in the morning when Asian markets open. You know, money never sleeps. But yeah, definitely check out the column in Politico Money podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday morning, and we'll do this all over again.